says, which comes first, the looker and or the looking? Which begets the other one? Does the looker beget the looking or does the looking beget the looker? Does the seeing beget the seer or does the seer beget the seeing? Is the seeing a verb of the seer's doing or is the seer a re mental reaction to the seeing? Is the seer a mental reaction so the mind becomes aware of an activity, seeing, conscious contact or being? Is the mind making up something about the seeing or is there a seer that's seen? The way we travel here, most of us, we assume it's the seer that's seeing. Yeah? Hello. So this, in that, maybe I'll start again. Yeah, come on, I'm going to start this little mind twister. All right, so what I just said here was, which begets the other? Is looking, does looking beget the looker, or does the looker beget the looking? Yeah? So the looking, or let's say the seeing, does the seeing beget the seer, or the seer beget the seeing? I may not be using the right word beget, but... The way it's interpreted mostly, the way we travel, is the seer is seen. Yeah? When there's something recognized, a movement here, or if you want to call it a verb, when mind recognizes a movement, that movement immediately incites the, pro the program to supply a mover. Yeah? So when seeing is sensed, the mental reaction immediately produces the sense of a seer. So this, the mental reaction, how it claims seeing, is it presents a seer as the one that's doing it. Yeah? And I'm not just talking seeing out of the eye, I'm talking like awareness. Yeah? Awareness has five different sense doors, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, but awareness is seeing. Yeah? So. The way it's the seeing producing the seer, or is the seer doing the seeing? I would say to me, the seeing is just seeing. The mental reaction to it is there must be a seer. Yeah? So when there's hearing, it can't just be left alone as hearing. The mind's reaction to hearing, yes, which is brought to it, by conscious contact, that's what's hearing, consciousness, yeah? The mind's reaction to it is there must be a hearer, yeah? So it makes up an I out of the verb of seeing, yeah? And hearing and feeling and tasting and touching. It says there must be an I that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting and touching, yeah? As soon as it claims that activity, as it makes itself a noun, and now it's neutered any realization of what God is, let's say, if you want to use the word God here, because God is demonstrating in the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, the consciousness and contact. It neuters that information by claiming it. Yeah? It slips itself as the seer 
and the hearer and the feeler and the taster and the toucher. And now, instead of your interest and attention being on the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, it's now wedded or bonded to the idea of a seer and a seeing. Yeah? And that's what it's really concerned with. So all day there's seeing, but it's very rarely that you sense the seeing. But what you have is an interpretation of the seeing as there's a seer, which is primo important, and there's a seer, which changes. The seeing, I mean. Yeah? So I see you now, but I'll see someone later. But what's seemingly seeing you is the same all day. Me. Yeah? That, to, to me, is the original act of playing God by the mental process. Yeah? And in recovery, it says the how and why of the whole program which is really an incredible statement. How and why means basically a very comprehensive take of the whole program is to quit playing God because it doesn't work. Now, I don't know, you may have lots of ideas what playing God is like. I'm just presenting you ideas that have come in me about what playing God is. And to me, that's the original biggest move of playing God is by claiming the presence and the activity of what you call God, I'm just using that word, you can say consciousness or spirit, but by claiming the activity of spirit as a verb you're doing is a pretty big maneuver. It really is. It's sort of like taking a giant pile of chips and flipping them around and, and, and assuming I'm the one with the biggest pile. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, like no one sees it. <laughs> and then from that point on, it's claiming everything else. Yeah? Because there's tons of seeing and hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching all day. I mean, I don't even know how they could register it because they'd have to get a broad sample. But I would say there's tons of sense contact all day. Tons of things that you're feeling and seeing and hearing and tasting and touching. And thoughts are objects to the mind, like a bird is an object to an eye. Yeah? So you see thoughts like you would see a bird if it flew by here. If you're awake or conscious, and a lot of thoughts are seen. A lot of them are unconscious thoughts, but most, some of them are conscious. And if they're conscious, you see them. There's a seeing of them. Yeah? So there is, I would say, there's an incredible amount of contact all day happening. I, I would say in the millions probably. And so to have, it doesn't do it every, every time there's a seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. It doesn't say, I'm the seer, I'm the hearer. But now it's assumed, yeah? It's turned into like a belief. So when there's the activity of conscious contact, underneath it, it's held as I'm the doer of it, yeah? And it's a lot of spiritual circles, that's the basis of the bondage to self, is the sense of being a personal doer of actions. But to really see how far back it goes, the action of conscious contact has been taken to be a verb you're doing. It's mind-boggling. I mean, really, the level of playing God is unbelievable. And to try to get out of that activity down the line is just another form of playing God. If I try to stop playing God down here, that's playing God, isn't it? I would believe that it would be nice to notice where the hijacking occurred at the point of conscious contact. And it doesn't happen before the point of conscious contact because nothing happens before that point. It happens after the point. It's a mental process that takes time. Conscious contact is occurring and then there's a, 
the mind's reaction to it takes some time to claim it and to tell a story that I'm the one who's seeing, I'm the one who's hearing, I'm the one who's feeling. Yeah, that takes time. So it does. It definitely doesn't happen at the exact same time or prior to it. It happens afterwards. Yeah. So there's the conscious contact seeing, and then the mental reaction to it is I'm seeing that. Yeah. And then it gives name and form to everything it sees. Yeah. I have a name called Andre and a form of body. So I think that's Andre. I think that's Ryan, that body. <laughs> so the mind starts... <laughs> so if you could just... If there's just a seeing of that, just a possibility that something hijacked life and now made it, quote-unquote, your life, which isn't your life at all. Yeah? But something has made life into your life and made your life way more important than life, yeah? And especially way more important than what you call someone else's life, especially if they're far away in another country. You have a pretty much no regard, basically, what's happening to them. Because the sense of being an independent, separate entity gives you a weird immunity to other people's suffering, in a way. Because it's not about you. And so you don't really deeply care, usually, yeah? It's just like if someone comes here and starts really going off on a, something. Like the other, I was at a meeting yesterday morning and the meeting was going a certain way and then this lady came rushing in and she just shared and she was crying and her brother had just died in a motorcycle accident in East Bay on a, you know, 110 miles per hour loaded, yeah? He was like 21 years old. And so she was incredibly upset Yet the only one who could even somewhat match her experience was a lady who lost her brother a month before. Yeah? Most of the other people, though feeling something, they can't actually be in her shoes because there's, an, there's a sort of built-in immunity to others here because you think you're different. Yeah? The my really creates a disassociation from others. Yeah? In a way, it can be good because when someone else is in what's not happening, they can't really... Do, they can't do what's not happening justice for you. <laughs> I mean, they're totally absorbed in this worry they think is going to happen to them next week, but you have, you'll be sitting with them right next to them and have total immunity to that fear about next week <laughs> because you're in like two weeks from now maybe or a month ago. You don't really usually match what's not happening with another what's not happening. <laughs> so there's like, a, there's like an immunity to people suffering in a way. So when someone comes to my house and is flipping out, yeah, flipping out, and you really don't see what they're flipping out about because you can't see it, you can't actually feel it, you can't taste it, you can't touch it because it's actually not happening. It's thoughts about something next week, yeah, or a year from now or whatever. There is an immunity you have. The immunity is brought to, brought to you because those thoughts they're having you call yours, and if I had the same thoughts, but I called them mine, they'd be fucking with me big time. But because I can see them as yours, they don't have any effect on me. Yeah. yeah. But the dilemma is the mind, don't you see? It's just another uh, dimension of the first claiming of God as a verb. Like, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, because now thoughts are seen as yours. Yeah. You believe they're your thoughts. You actually believe that you think them. That somehow you think these thoughts. So if they're noted or seen as bad thoughts, you may think you're a bad person. 
because you must be the thinker of them. Yeah? Once, you, once you claim verbs, you basically claim all verbs. Yeah? So whatever happens, you think you had something to do with it, usually. Yeah? It's trippy, yeah? So the thoughts, with the one little word in front of the my, changes everything. Thoughts are just thoughts, but when they're my thoughts, they're like the beginning of novels, yeah? Big time. They can have so much weight. A simple thought can derail a whole day. You could be having a nice time, and then you go, when, is, when are people going to find out I don't deserve this? And there goes your day. Yeah, just shoot. Takes a giant into a wall. You know? <laughs> Maybe the day is really so nice, it's just offering you to open up, but your head is going, but it ain't going to last, so you're going totally contrary to the invitation. You're closing down, and yet you wish for this moment. But when the moment shows up, you do the exact opposite than what you think you were going to do. Oh, no, you're like this, because now you're afraid it's going to leave or something. <laughs> so you can't really win, can you? <laughs> can you? Do you ever get what you want? How long can you handle it? <laughs> it's easy to want something, but when it shows up, it's another ball game. Then you have to sort of respond. Most people can't respond. They react. They react from their minds, from their conditioning. If they believe that they're no good, it doesn't matter how much goodness comes to them. They can override it by that belief that they're no good. They can believe that they're not loved, and so many people have shown love to them, but they've not even recognized it, because they have a very strong idea that they're not lovable. This is about what recovery says. You've got to let go of all your old ideas, and the result will be nil. What's the biggest old idea of all? That you're a you. You're a body. Yeah? That you're the doer of all verbs. I mean, it's really a big stretch to think you're the thinker. It's a really hard one to really, really, you know, claim. Don't you believe? I mean, we go over it at this meeting where, you, like, you take a shit in the toilet and you look down and there's your, seemingly, you're identified as the body and it's hovering over the toilet and you see the shit and you felt some muscle contraction. So it makes sense, hey, I took a shit, you know. If you're identified as a body, you see the evidence, you felt it happening and there it is. But now to, to take that and presuppose you're the thinker of thoughts is a real big leap. Because yeah? you can't even see thoughts. You can't weigh them. And you're not like, there's no muscle that you're spasming. There's no sphincter muscle that's letting a thought out or in, is it? Like, I'm holding, I have, you know, constipation would be like this and then diarrhea like this. You know? Big thoughts would be coming out everywhere. It's not the case, is it? There's no spasming. There's thinking. You can see sometimes the effects of thinking of people's breath gets shorter and stuff, but you can't really see thinking, can you? You can't weigh thoughts, can you? You can't even see them. Yeah. Can I, you know, open up your head and, oh, there's a thought of Kansas City up there. No, you don't see it. Yet we believe we're the thinker. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think that's a pretty big leap? To go so far where you don't even seem to be able to manage your life very well, but you think you're the thinker of thoughts that are so subtle that you can't see them, you can't weigh them, and yet you believe you're the thinker of everyone that you've ever seen. <laughs> Jeez, it's really incredible. So this whole message for me, if you're new here, 
in recovery, they say the root of the problem is obsession with self. Yeah? That's the root of the problem. So usually your mind, how does your mind show obsession? Thinking, yeah? So you're thinking about you a lot, all day. So here's, here's the planet Paul, and here's all the thoughts, all about you, yes? But I don't believe that's the case. I believe this is what the mind does when it's identified as a self. It has to think about it. If not, the identification would be broken very easily. Yeah? It has to produce an ongoing trance or hypnotism so that the host that has forgotten its nature keeps being identified with the nature of the parasite. Yeah? The parasite is presenting you as a loser or whatever it may be. And it has you, the tentacles, yeah, like this. And for it to have you, there's got to be a constant glue to keep it in place. And that, I would say, is the daily narrative that your head runs, yeah? Because it runs a story that you're a doer, isn't it? I mean, obviously. Our language is a subjective language used by objects, if you look at it. Every time we say something, it sounds like I did it, you know? I said something, yeah? There's not just saying of something, there's I said something, yeah? There's, you can't get out of this sort of subject-object track with our language. You can't talk yourself out of not being a noun in this, you know, being a noun in this language. Yeah? Because every time you say, I'm getting out of being a noun, that would imply a noun getting out of being a noun, getting out of being a noun, you know what I mean? There's no, self can't get out of self. So, if you had immunity to the thought system, what would happen? Find out, really. That would be my, that's my suggestion, but I can tell you sort of what happened with me is that system, that, let's say, helmet, that parasitical uh, umbrella that's over you would lift, yeah? And you would have freedom from the bondage of self. And the best teacher of all is freedom from the bondage of self because it informs you what self looks like, the activity of selfing, because there's no noun. It's just like light playing that projects a holograph of a person. It's like a helicopter propeller that's moving so fast, it looks like it's still, yeah? But it's a verb, yeah? But it creates an optical illusion. Well, the selfing is like that. It goes like this, and it produces an optical illusion in your head, and you take yourself to be a body. You take yourself to be this, yeah? You see yourself as this. And more, more importantly than see yourself as this, you think about yourself as this. The thinking in the system only presents you as a body. When, you're, when the system is thinking about you, it, the you it presents is a body. When you think about you in the past, how, is, how does your mind picture you in the past? As a body, yeah? When you picture yourself, when you're worrying about what's going to happen to you in the future, what is that you presented as? A body. The system of thought, which is self-centeredness, it's a very small system. Thought is so defined by the programming of its own system. Yeah? It can't get out of it. You can't think yourself out of self. It's like if someone's having a problem and they go home and they go in their room to think about it, they spawn ten more problems. Yeah? The thinking is the problem. The thinking is the bigger problem that's being applied to, to situations and objects and activities and it makes problems with those things. So here's the system of thought that we're relying on, the station we listen to all day, K-Paul, and when it plays Golden Oldies, it pictures me as a body, and when it has ap apocalyptic little fear little stories, it pictures me as a body. How can you rely on a system like that? 
It says it in our book. Why are you in so much fear? Why are we in so much fear? Isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? What is self-reliance? Taking you to be a body in this life and then listening to a thought system that presents you as a body. I would say that's reliance on self, yeah? When I would say relying on something greater than self would not be the idea that I'm a body, yeah, here. At least the possibility that there's more going on than just a body, yeah, to rely on self. And when you start relying on yourself as something other than a body, you have immunity to the thought system that projects you as a body constantly, you don't buy that projection, and in that cause of not buying the projection, your interest and attention plugs into another modality. You want to call it God or a higher power or whatever, but now you get some you get a different station, just not PayPal all day. You get a sort of side by side station. Yeah? It may not be as loud and as persistent as PayPal, but it starts resonating with you because it has a sense of authenticity. Or soundness, yeah? It's not all advertising. It just says, hey, if you do this, this will happen. And it starts working out that way. It's not false advertising like the mind presents. If you do this and 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 this, and then this and this and this and this, then you'll be happy later. Never a delivery now. Never, never a delivery of happiness, joy, and freedom now. Any system, watch, your, watch the mental system, if you can, during the day. Any system that has excuses, rationalization, and blame is a failed system. It's covering its tracks. It can't produce the goods, so it rationalizes the non-production of the goods. It excuses, makes excuses why there's no happiness, joy, freedom, and it definitely blames other people or even you for the reason that's why you're not having happiness, joy, freedom. You don't see it as a failed system. Something that works doesn't have excuses. It delivers the goods. It doesn't have rationalizations. It delivers the goods. And it definitely doesn't have to blame because it delivers the goods. Yeah? A failed system needs an incredible public relations, marketing, advertising, just like Budweiser. How do they sell so much beer? It sucks. Yeah? It's like water. No matter how cold you had it, it got warm in like five minutes. It's shitty. All you're buying is water with alcohol in it. But they, they spend tons of money on advertising to convince you, oh, forget about the taste. It's a bud. <laughs> this is what it is. Oh, forget how I'm doing. It's you, brother. It's all about you. You'll be right at the end of this. Even if you never get anything you want, you'll be right. You'll feel right, righteous why you didn't get it. You'll have some verifiable blame to give to others. They have fucked with me. They. And you'll have the visual incessant resentment. <laughs> There's that story in the book, Freedom from Bondage. You ever hear that story? It's a woman. I don't know. I think they still have it in the new thing. There's a woman story about, she talks about, uh, she gets sober, and her life was about, she had this nagging resentment towards her mother. But the story she had running in her head is that she would have given it up like anything if she just could. She just never found how to give it up, but she was totally willing to give it up. Then she gets sober, and she realizes, hey, if I don't get rid of my resentments, I'm going to drink again. Yeah? So she goes sober, and most of the resentments were easy to give up. But this one, the one that she had the story about, that she would have given up like that, she realized, hey, 
it's, it's, it's my excuse for all my failures. My relationship to my mother is why none of my marriages work, why I didn't finish college. There's no way in hell I'm giving this resentment up. I have to face up to something I'm not willing to face up, and this is my perfect rationalization not to, not to have to face up with it. So she finally got the real evidence. There's no way the mind was giving up the resentment. It had been nurturing that resentment like the golden calf. Yeah? It was harvesting that crop year after year after year. But she said, okay, so what did she do? They gave you the advice. She read some magazine and some priest in there said, listen, if you want to get rid of resentment, that's, that's really a difficult one to let go of. Pray for them to have everything you want and more for a couple of weeks, even if you don't mean it, and you'll see what happens. And I had to use it, I swear. My first year of sobriety, I had my fairy princess. And about a year and a half in my sobriety, I lost my fairy princess. <laughs> no, we went out for a year, but it was very little contact. We were both shut down totally. But <laughs> she was my fairy princess. And then uh, she got to, met this other guy. And she was going to marry this other guy. And so I went to this AA party, a daytime party in Sausalito. And I was there. And then they walked in. And I swear to God, it was like, it looked like two spotlights were shining on there blissful faces, and the, the party parted like the Red Sea, and I felt like petals were being thrown in front of them, and my head was like, oh, you know, like, he has what I want, you know, and I sat there for a little while, I couldn't take it anymore, I had a split, you know, it was just too unbearable, so I remember reading that part of the book, and I started to use it, every time Wendy's name came up in my head, and her husband Tom, I would say, hey, I wish them everything I want more. And that took longer than a few weeks. It took about five, six weeks. But after five, six weeks, every time I thought of them, I felt well. Yeah? And for the rest of my life, every time I think of Wendy, I just wish her well. It's really freaking cool. So the power is available. It's just if there's a willingness to take it. Now, for me now, I don't want to learn how to deal with resentments. I don't want to have any resentments anymore. Yeah, just like, I, you know, it's great to become a master of fear inventories, but what would happen if you had no anxiety? There would be no need of the inventory. I'd rather have that. It's a much nicer state for me, yeah? I don't want to have to do inventories anymore. I don't want to have to make amends anymore. Yeah, I just don't. So it's sort of like, yeah, the, the, the lawnmower is valuable if I have a lawn, but as soon as I don't have a lawn, I don't need the lawnmower, Yeah. It just makes sense. I'd rather just not have need for inventories. Every once in a while when something comes up, then I know how to use it, but not to, not to conjure up fears just so I can write something. No, to me that's insane. This is about freedom. It's not about managing. At a period it may be managing, yes? Because if your houses are on fire, it's good to have pails of water. But then hopefully you entertain the fireless state. in AA. And it's a possibility when... The higher power is not of your own understanding, it's of its own understanding. There's shifts that occur, and when those shifts occur, the solution dramatically shifts into something that you don't practice, but you are. Yeah? So we'll come to a point where the problem will not exist for you, like it says on you know, page 84, but how that happens is when it doesn't exist as you. When you see that it is truly identification as self. It's not that, it's that, it, that's a verb of mine, selfing, that produces that feeling. 
that you are self. Yeah? That is the bondage. So to have freedom from it, you've got to have freedom as it. Yeah? Really. For it to be long-lasting, it's got to be a, it's not an experience you're going to have, but it is actually the shift of what you take yourself to be. Then it becomes long-lasting. That, to me, is really traveling later. Yeah? And if anyone's been coming here for years, like Robert and stuff and everyone, they can vouch for it. It works. You entertain it, and then the mind comes out of this yogic posture of self-centeredness, you know? And it's story, when it takes this posture, it's been in it a long time. It's a story, really. But it, it has a feeling it's been historically like this. And then it just, when it entertains this, this information, the information entices it. Yes? It's sort of like in recovery, they say, you've got to stop trying to fit circumstances around you, because that makes your world really small. Yeah? But now you fit yourself around circumstances. So the circumstance of hearing this invitation in, evokes the mind to come out of the posture to entertain it. And the entertaining of it is its nature. Yeah? While entertaining this possibility, it's like a skylight finally appears and shh, it can go out. Yeah? And then, now you're entertaining that you have a sense of okayness, that, not that you will be okay. Because you as a doer and haver gets dismissed on a large scale. It's not about doing yourself into being okay. You're, you're inherently okay before you do anything. Yeah? What you do and don't do has a, has a value in just keeping the outside circumstances clean enough so that this thing can have uninterrupted ability to be entertained. And we already had the way, by functioning a certain way in life called the 12 steps, that are like two God rails, G-O-D rails, that keep us, yes, on a safe way, and it allows that big freaking dog of alcoholism to go to sleep. And when it goes to sleep, you have the run of your life. If it wakes up, then you've got to walk it, you've got to feed it, and especially you've got to clean up after it. And usually you don't want to clean up after it, which just promotes more shit. Yeah? And then you become enslaved to that activity of the dog being awake. The 12 steps, its functioning is to put that dog to sleep so that you can get on with living. Yeah? And as long as you behave a certain way and don't go over those guardrails and incite that dog into waking up, then you get to have, you live like a free-range alcoholic. Yeah? What this message does, it just illuminates your life a lot more. Yeah? Because really, like Jesus says, it's like you are the light of the world, but it's like there's a bushel basket over you that's blocking off the light. But what happens is the bushel basket has no power to block off the light unless you think you're the bushel basket. That's like the identification of self. When you realize I'm not that, it has no influence over stopping the light. Yeah? So this is not about doing and having. You already have a way to do and have yourself into a sane, sober style of living, yes? This is about what can happen when that foundation's in place. Can you be rocketed into a fourth dimension? Yes, if you realize you are that fourth dimension.
So I find very valuable to diagnose what you call a disease. If it's misdiagnosed, it's going to severely affect the results you can enjoy, literally. If you think it's obsession with self, and, and you're identified as a self, then when you try to get out of the obsession, you're going to be getting out of it as a self, and that's just the bondage. Yeah? Yeah? The one who gave up the obsession is just as much bonded to the one who had the obsession. Yes? Yeah. This is a solution to that dilemma of claiming activities, because it's prior to all the activities. It's very difficult to put yourself as a noun if you're just aware during the day that seeing comes before your opinion about what you saw arises. <laughs> feeling comes before, oh, I didn't want to have that feeling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Obviously, the feeling was noted first, yes? That's, that's, that's the salvation here. Instead of thinking life starts here, you actually let it start where it actually happens, which is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. It doesn't say you're seeing that. That's what the mind says. Lord Buddha had it beautifully. He just said, when you see, see. When you hear, hear. When you feel, feel. When you taste, taste. When you touch, touch. Instead of when you see, I'm the seer of that. When you hear, I'm the hearer of that. Because as soon as there's a claiming of the hearing or the seeing or the feeling, then thousands of thoughts get generated about it. Yeah? Did I want to see it? Didn't I want to see it? I don't like the smell of it or this and that. Yes? Thousands of thoughts are generated just by the claiming of that activity of conscious contact. Just like that. Thousands of thoughts. If at that point of contact it's noted cleanly from the point of view of seeing, it doesn't generate thousands of thoughts around it. Yeah? The thoughts are generated by the initial claiming of it. Yeah? As yours. That's why one thought claimed as your thought begets thousands of other thoughts. Yeah? So if you call one thought yours, it calls off its whole family. And its family has a long historical line in a lot of past conditioning. It's not, you don't have to say, that's not my thought at the 500 thought. Just realize you're not the thinker. Yeah? You're not the thinker of the thoughts. Entertain the idea of that. Just let it sink in. All right. Don't just be seeing. Seeing of thoughts. What's the big deal? As soon as you claim them to be yours, you're just a giant memory bank of a lot of ideas and, and beliefs and conditionings. I noticed it when I was young. I... I had never been introduced to anything spiritual in this lifetime. And I met an Indian guru when I was 17 or 18. And it would have been like seemingly the first time I ever met anyone, in, you know, other than organized religions. And yet, when I met him and that lifestyle, I had thousands and thousands and thousands of thoughts about it. I had this is what a should, guru should be like and what he shouldn't be like, what a devotee should... I mean, where did all that conditioning come from? Where? I hadn't produced it in a life. I hadn't been with gurus since I was one years old. This is the first one I ever met. First, yet, 
I had tons of ideas and opinions about the whole thing without actually having no personal knowledge of it. But tons of ideas and concepts. Which painted the whole experience. Totally. What could have brought me joy brought me excru- excruciating suffering in my mind. Because <laughs> I was introduced to him and he was presented as the Lord of the Universe. Which is a pretty big name. Yeah? Doesn't it conjure up a meaning? To me it did. It's like the Lord of the Universe. And then, so there I was. So there's the Lord of the Universe. And here I am. And I don't like the Lord of the Universe. What does that make me? Well, I could, if you would have had a five-year tape of my mental narration, you would see what it meant me, made me. Five years of excruciating suffering. Here's the universe, Lord of the Universe, but I don't like the Lord of the Universe. That's sort of like a Christian not liking Jesus when he came over here. If Jesus finally appeared and you've been praying for Jesus your whole life, you know, not having sex for 30 years, supposedly for Jesus, then you meet him. Hey, I don't even like Jesus. Fucking crazy. It would be an amazing, it would be, it'd be very painful, I'd imagine, for you. Your mind would have tons of investment in it. That's what happened. I couldn't believe it. I had tons of ideas and I never even met any of these people. So you, you have, this idea of you represents just tons of old ideas and conditioning. So when the you claim, when the idea of the mind as you claiming something, it injects tons of meaning into that thing, that thought, that meeting, that place, that person, that feeling. And then it's almost as if the mind believes the, the feeling was inherently in that thought. It isn't. Thoughts are inherently empty. Yeah? Everything here is inherently empty. It has no nature of its own. It has no inherent quality. We inject it with meaning. And so after a couple of years of living, you can pretty much see the store that's, being, that's producing all the meanings in your life. Yeah, Self-centeredness. It's producing all the meanings in your life. And it gets to be same old, same old after a while, right? Instead of one fairy princess, you have seven fairy princesses. But they're all basically the same. Everything gets to be the same because it is basically the same. Because it's the same meanings being injected. Yeah? The self-centered system is a very tiny system. Very tiny. Yeah? So you get this feeling. Like you go to Bangkok, it's like Burlingame, California, in four days. You know, it's just because you're there. Everywhere you go, it gets very similar to everywhere else you've been. <laughs> if you love Thailand, you move there, it'll be like Bergen game. If you stay there for about a year, you'll be finding all the faults of the Thai people. When you first get there, oh, they're so different. And then you realize, no, they're not different. They have the same fucking mind we have. A little bit of cultural difference, but basically the self thing is similar, very similar. We just have different cultural visions, yeah? So you go, oh, I like that one. That's like a new, I like that. Well, move there. See what happens. I know a lot of people have. (laughs) The blush comes off the whatever very quickly. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, if you can entertain that you are not that, it's like throwing a wrench in the works, yeah? It will cause the works to stop because they're a verb, yes? You can stop a verb. It can stop. When it stops, 
there's a pause. In other words, the, there's a pause in the movement of that verb. But in that pause, something continues. So the verb stopped. The selfing stopped. In other words, the projection of being a self is stopped. But something continues until the selfing begins. Yeah, That's what we are. Is what continues when the selfing stops. Well, when the selfing is absent, there's still a presence. Yes? That, I would say, is what we are. Our attention and interest has been wedded to the verb of, men, of the mind called selfing, but in those moments where there's a break, the interest and attention has nothing to wed to, and what happens is there's an interest and attention on the pause. So the interest and attention sees its original face, which isn't a face, so to speak. Yeah? And there's an indelible imprint. may not be on your conscious little head, but in you, in there, there's an indelible imprint on that, of that pause. It's going to beget another realization of a pause. Yeah. Maybe the first time, that's all it takes. There's a break in the selfing, and yet there's a continuance of what you are, and the emphasis shifts dramatically and never returns to the selfing, yeah? Maybe it's going to take a few pauses. Who knows? Who cares, really? Because once it gets established, there will be no time it never was like that. Once it gets established, when it's done and when it's done, there will be no like it had never not been that way. Because one of the things that leaves completely is the sense of time. Yeah? So it's not like you've been longing, and I wish this would have happened earlier. It's all a story in time. It has nothing to do with it. Nothing. Yeah? Nothing at all. In other words, if right now the whole thing dropped, you wouldn't have no sense of a story about it when it wasn't like that. You would lose total interest in selfing. Yeah? So the idea of, oh, I wish I would have got it earlier, it has no relevance whatsoever. So it's nice to have it now, having no relevance. Yeah? If you really lose interest in the me that's holding out for it to happen to, then maybe it'll become obvious that it's always happening. If you lose interest in the me that's waiting for something to happen to it, which is always happening, if you lose interest in that, I would say that would promote it much quicker than anything else. Yeah? When you lose interest in selfing, <laughs> when you lose interest for the need to be liberated, when you truly lose interest in all of these hopes and, and projections of how great you'll be later, when you lose interest in all that, when you lose interest in going on the next pilgrimage or the next whatever retreat, and you just finally accept the things just as they're appearing to be, and there's no verb doing it, it's just a recognition, yeah. <laughs> you'll get what you hoped that pilgrimage was going to bring. You'll be in, you won't get it, you'll be there, yeah. It's truly in the absence of self or in self-forgetting that we're reborn. It's not in promoting and managing self into becoming a better self or a more realized self. It's in losing interest in it. Yeah? How can you lose interest in it if you take it to be you? It's very difficult. Because one giant rushes to bond your interest to it because it's you. And then there's the other thing, I don't want to be bonded to me, which is just another form of being bonded to you, yeah? 
When you don't want to be bonded to you, that's just another form of being bonded. But when you lose interest in not being this, or being this, man, it works that way. You lose interest in not being this, and you lose interest in being it. I found that's a byproduct of just starting to entertain I may not possibly be that. You cannot believe that's like the anchor for the interest and attention. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It can twist and make it into I'm going to get out of it or be into it more. It's just youing, yeah? But if you just entertain, I may not be possibly that. I mean, where can the particle latch onto if there's no rock? Yeah? If there's no rock, all the barnacles, the thousands of barnacles that are on there, and you'd like to pull each one out, and they're really incredibly stubborn, but if there was no rock, where would the barnacles attach them? I would say the rock is the idea of being a self, and then all the old ideas and all the conditioning bind to that. When the life force moves from the rock, it goes through all that conditioning, and voila, you've got your subjective experience. It's like we talked on Saturday. Here's a river or water. You ever watch water? It's just flowing. It's verbing. Let's say that's like being. Now, and there's currents here, but they're all moving and dancing going this. Let's put a rock in there. Maybe put a couple of rocks. As soon as you put a rock in, some of the water starts going around the rock. Yeah? And then things that were going down the river get pulled into that, and now leaves coagulate near the rock. Yes? And then it could almost be like a little bit of stagnancy starts growing just around the rock. Everything else is flowing, but some of the flow just goes around, starts orbiting around this rock. And yet, so all this verbing that has a flow to it now starts being put into an orbit around you. Now, you want to get relief from what's bothering you, and you want more of what's making you happy, but you can't change the flow as, because it's the rock that's keeping it all in place. The rock as a rock is never going to change the currents. But if the rock wasn't so, what would happen? The currents would take a whole other look. Those leaves that were causing such a blindness or a stagnancy would move, yeah? But no matter how much the rock wants to change it, it's the cause of it. It can't change what it's causing, yes? The only way to change what it's causing is stop causing it. So if I'm not that rock, So, instead of life happening to me, which is the water rolling around the rock, when it's seen not to be the rock, life is seen to be happening. It's a totally different movement. Same flow, but a different movement, yeah? It's not taken as it's happening to me. How is the rock going to take it? If it's causing this gravitational pull, it's going to look like this shit's happening to me. Yeah? It is. It's going to be very, in its logical system, it becomes, it's being done to. Yeah? And so it says, well, if I'm being done to, then I can do myself out of it. But it can't do itself out of it because it's the cause of the current. Yeah? And any movement that fortifies the idea of being a rock just sets the currents in place tighter and tighter. The rock comes out, the whole thing starts moving. Life, instead of looking at or seeing as it's happening to me, it's just seen as it's happening. You travel a lot lighter, yeah? Isn't that what you want as a self, anyway? Isn't that what you want as a self? Wouldn't you like to travel lighter? I'm just telling you, 
no matter how great the party is, it's going to suck when you get there. It's got to just see. If you're not that you, the party may be really great, but when you arrive, it usually sucks. You've got to put two and two together. It's like in physics. They say the major influence of any experiment is the observer of it. So the major influence in this experiment called life is the observer of it. You're giving it all the meaning it has. If you're observing this place from the point of view of being a body, a self-centered body, that's the meaning you're having. Yes? No matter what experiment's occurring in life, you're influencing it more than the thing itself. Yeah? So change the observer and you change the experiment. So the observer wants to find light as a particle, he sees it as a particle. He wants to find light as a wave, he sees it as a wave. He wants to find an electron at a certain location, he finds it at that certain location. If he says he wants to find it somewhere else, it appears at the same other place. <laughs> it's all based on the observer, yeah? Cancer or this isn't overriding the meaning you're giving it. Everything, everything, no matter how co collectively on the society we've given a big meaning to it, let's say sharks, great white sharks have a huge meaning for people. I've ever seen Jaws when they were kids, and everyone's fucking super afraid of sharks. But when you meet one in the water, you'll see what arises. Yeah? We make these boogeymen and women by giving it so much name and so much emphasis, anxiety, that we give it that the power it has over us. Hmm. So, yeah. Nice to see you, bro. Came up from the wilderness. How go, how go thee down there? Any questions? Robert? No? All's well? Andre? Yes. Yes. I had a question, though. Um, I've, I've, heard, I've heard somewhere, I think I heard Colbert uh, talk about it, he said that we resent in other people things that we're used to seeing in ourselves. It's like, it's like a strength. It wouldn't resonate if we don't see it in ourselves, if, we res if it wasn't in ourselves. Yeah. So, how does that, say like, if I'm in a relationship with somebody, and... This is hypothetical, right? No, that's not I know, I know. It's a true situation. I know, I know, it's just true. I was with a, with a girl, and we're not together anymore, because I could not, I could not tolerate certain things that weren't her, and I was like, I, I just can't live with that. So... Yeah, what I would do with that, you can take that as far as you like or not like, but I would just ask, who is it? Why don't you ask that? Who is it that thinks has they ha it has resentments that I'm seeing in her? Who's who is that? I'm not saying anything about the resentments or not. If you have resentments here and you find a way to get rid of them, you'll travel lighter here. But I would always bring it back a step farther and go to the subjectiveness of it. Who is it that thinks has a resentment that it's hiding from and it's projecting on someone else? There's no one there. It's all verbing, bro. Everything is verbing. Like a guy wrote me a, he's writing a book and he wrote me this thing from something I said. And he said, uh, 
All right. Now I hear you, I heard your thing about the lion and the sheep. Now he said one thing, and and he says, or is it the second point, which is you're not a sheep, yeah, and that you're actually a lion? So I said, in fact, you're neither of them really. You're not a lion either, because you're a, you're a verb. I don't know what the hell you are, literally. Yeah, I'm just using sheep and lion, but you're not a lion either. Yeah. You're a verb. I would just question that. And then deal with the resentments. And if what he says uh, resonates for you on that level, use it. But ask, who does it resonate to? Maybe throw that in there. Just see. Ask a simple question. It has nothing to do with arguing or supporting the statement about resentment. Just ask, who is it that believes has a resentment? You may be really surprised because if you're not the one who has the resentment, that as the observer of resentments, yes, as the observer of resentments, when you observe a resentment as the one who has it, man, you there's a lot of meaning being distributed to that resentment. And you may be like that lady. That resentment may have a real valuable commodity to yourself. In. It may have a real reason to sort of cherish that resentment that you may not be aware of. And your story would be, I'd do anything to get out of it. Yeah? So you'll even suffer more with the idea of being in it because you think you'd do anything to get out of it. But really, in fact, there's, the mind does not want to give up on that resentment. It's getting a lot out of it, yes? You have to realize there's, things, there's aspects of agenda you may not be aware of. On one level of conscious, consequential level of being self, yeah, you may think you want to get out of something terribly. On another level of the parasite, it has no intention of giving up on that. Because that's like lifeblood to it. Yeah? So here, in unknowingness, you're really in conflict. Because you really seem to want to give something up, but you can't seem to be able to do it. But right above that little one-story play down here, on the next story of the parasite, or the, the mind addicted to selfing, it has no intention of giving up that resentment. That's like a jewel in its necklace. No fucking way is it giving up that jewel. Yeah? So, you're not informed, even thinking you're a you, you're very ill-informed about all the you-ness that's going on in the selfing. Big time. Yeah? There's so many different levels of selfing going on. One selfing has a, is totally into something, and on the other level, it's complaining about it terribly. But the one supersedes this level, and you get, you keep stuck. Yeah? It's a, it's, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Then, isn't it a story that you wouldn't, if you would do anything not to live in fear? It's a big fucking story. The parasite thrives on anxiety. Why? Because it demands more reliance. If you're anxious about something, what are you going to do? You're going to rely on your thinking, aren't you? There's the parasite. So it loves anxiety. So because it produces more of a reliance on it. Because the thing that incites the dilemma gives you the solution to it all day. Yeah? Even if you read Eckhart Tolle, you're subjectifying everything he says. Probably if he shared what he meant by that, he would probably mean totally different than what you mean by it. That's what happens here. So you've got to see, <laughs> this thing is, uh, yeah. <laughs> you may be believing that you really want something, well... 98% of what you're not has no intention of ever entertaining that. <laughs> it's just there to produce exquisite suffering by its absence, yeah?
Haven't you noticed that you really want something you don't have? <laughs> Let's just, just take it simply, break it down. The head tells you you really want something, and, and you believe it, yeah? You really believe it. You even feel like you miss it, yeah? Oh, this is really true. I'm feeling it, which can be totally manipulated feelings. Totally, totally manipulated. So here, it convinces you you really, really, really want something, but that's something you don't have. And maybe sometimes it even makes it juicier, and you'll never have a chance to have it again. <laughs> so now, you're in the position in life to really, really, really want something that you've given a lot of meaning to. Maybe you gave it the meaning that this is the thing that would save me. If I only had this, if I only knew this teacher, if I only had that, this would save me. And you have no recourse of ever meeting it again. <laughs> What is going to be the mental state you're living as? Exquisite suffering. Exquisite suffering. I've seen it. I've seen people do it. I've seen it with girlfriends and boyfriends, where they're with a girlfriend and they're basically ignoring her for years, and then the woman gets in her head, hey, I'm not getting what I want, and they leave. And as soon as they leave, the next night the guy calls me before he tries to kill himself, and he says, the source of all my happiness has left me. Now that's freaking a big statement. What would you feel like if the source of all your happiness left you? And you believe that. You wouldn't feel so good, I'm sure. And you may even be apt to maybe kill yourself. Maybe you would take your own life. Yeah? You don't see it. You don't see how this presents evidence. And, and once you believe it, the evidence appears real. You actually... This woman who you were with for two years and you paid very little attention to, it appears real that she's the source of your happiness, but it never appeared real while you were with her. It only appears real after she goes. <laughs> you don't see it? This thing is... This thing... It's just fishing. It's just throwing bait. False evidence. Your attention interest takes it to be real. <laughs> I got a big one. And then, it, and then it doesn't even eat you to finish the job. It takes the hook and maybe sometimes crudely takes it out of you and throws you back in. And you fall for the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> You're scarred up. You got all this trauma. You got, you got beliefs that are so concrete now. You're never going to receive any love. You're never going to trust another fairy princess. You're always going to believe they're going to leave you. You can't take a shit that way you can't get off the pot. You're screwed totally as a selfie. Totally. If you ever met that thing that you want so bad, you wouldn't be able to enjoy it because you have ideas already that stops you from it. Yes? So now you have another exquisite, exquisite suffering. Your source of happiness is now back in your life and you can't embrace it, which is even worse if there wasn't in your life. Yeah? Because at least if it isn't in your life, you can hope that someday you can come back. But now it's back and you can't erase it. <laughs> this is what people call everyone about and complain and flip out about constantly. Selfing, selfing, selfing. There's an identification with it. Yeah? Once you bite the bait, you're a fish and you feel like you're a historical fish. Yes, this feels like me. Oh, I've been, dis I've, I've been disappointed just like this. No, you haven't. It's mind. 
mind, mind, mind. It's riffing on an idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. What do you think John Coltrane could do with an idea called separation? It, he would riff on it, and it would be unbelievable. First of all, it would be a lot of blues. <laughs> because separation produces a lot of exquisite suffering. Yeah? What do you think your mind's doing? It's so far beyond John Coltrane. It's unbelievable. All right, let's see. I really want love, but I don't have it in myself, so it has to come from an outside source. Yet I don't believe I'll ever be able to uh, deserve it. Man, I'm in a sort of pickle. Just riff and riff and riff. You don't see the mind? It's like an incredible musician. We're like the notes banging into each other, thinking it's all about us. Ping, 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 ping. Just all negative bonding patterns and everything going on. Jesus. You see some people who are married? How much anger and hatred is there? Just taking it out on each other, the disappointments of their lives, because they both expected to be saved by the other and it's failed? Man, it's nasty sometimes. This is what happens. The mind is very vindictive. If it set you up to be a savior and you fail, it's going to torture your ass. Would you find it? Yeah. Well, what happened is it hasn't been lost, first of all. So there's no finding of it. What happens is when you lose interest in you, yes? Yes. When you lose interest in the selfing, when that ever-present obsession with this as being you yes. is lost interest in, by this absence, the presence will be obvious. What presence? The presence, if you want to call it God. That presence. Okay. Yes. But it won't be ever, it won't be obvious to you when you're obsessed with self. Because when you're, up, when you're the present... The obsessed with self is clear. Yes. Yeah. Crystal clear. Yes. It's the other part that's... Well, just all you need to see the crystal clarity of that, because it's in seeing I'm not that, the yeah. other one starts illuminating. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, what you find out, you don't really know God, but you find out, let's say, what God represents, you know, my language, you find out God. It's different. Yeah, but I find that there is, an, instead of obsessing about the self, it just transfers to obsessing about God. Anyway, uh, obsessing about what is un, ungrabbable, Yes, yeah. But yet, you know, there you have experiences beyond, way beyond the self. And so you run after the experiences that are way beyond the self, but you have no control over those experiences coming in the fourth domain. Yeah. You know, you, so you just look. Yes. That makes sense. Yes, but what we're talking about here, instead of see when there's the identification of self in place, yes. what God is is an experience, yes, for you. That's really a form of playing God. Okay. When you realize you're not a self, then you, to me, the realization of God is not an experience. It's ever, it's ever present. I don't know what it is. I don't know, and that's the joy. There's no need to know. It just sort of allow. Allow, yes. Well, it's a presence. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, it's not even allowing it. Because if the only thing that thinks it needs to allow it is an idea of being a self. If you're not a self, there's no allow. Because that would again be playing God. I'm now going to allow God to be God. Oh, that's probably. Every time I hit synchronicity, there I know, oh, okay, God is taking over. I mean, and it shuts down the mind. Yes. And when synchronicity stops, the mind starts again. Well, that's one condition that I would surrender. Okay. That it has to be synchronicity. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be. That's just one. Yes, I would say, like, you know, over the time in recovery, I got to a point where my idea of a higher power was that it's always available at all times, right where I am, with no requirement necessary. Yes? So, in other words, I'm out of the picture. It's by my absence that that presence becomes obvious. Yeah? Yes. So, like yes. St. Francis would say, it's in self-forgetting that you're reborn. Yes? yes. So, when you forget this, when you're in the forgetting of self, then God miraculously seems to appear, if you want to call it God. It's never not been here, but it seems to appear to you finally, because you've lost interest in the you that's blocking it off. Yes? If yes. you're up, yes, yes. Yes. So, this is not about finding God, it's finding out what you're not, and in that you'll, you'll find out what happens. Yeah? And then you'll really, when in finding out what happens is much more verifiable than uh, 500 pages of scriptures, I'm telling you. Really? When you get it in your gut, yeah, it's just an unspoken yes. Yeah. Then it's, it becomes a done deal. Yeah. Yes. yes. It's not revealed to you. You just realize there is no you. And then things are found out, yeah. but not as a you. Yeah. Then there's just verbing going on. See, the mind wants to have a noun. Let's say if you don't understand something, you'll try to blame it on others. If you can't blame it on others, you'll say God did it. Yeah. We always want all the verbing to have a noun. This is there's no noun. It's just verbing. It's just being. Yes, say there's no divine being. There's just being. And in that verbhood, verbing, or in that movement, there's a freedom from being that rock in the water. Yes? So, for instance, I've noticed, like, coming to a meeting like this, where you're talking about the abstract, and the mind is trying to grab it and figure it out and all, something goes on beyond the mind that, that, it, that isn't figured out, and all of a sudden, like, tomorrow morning, I'll wake up and there's Hearing, yes. understanding, but I couldn't figure it out. That's right. Your system can't, can't grasp this. That's what this whole message is about. It's disarming the system or throwing a wrench in it. When you try to figure it out or embrace it with the system of self-centeredness, it's like trying to catch a butterfly. It's an, you can't catch it. That's what gets exhausted, hopefully, and then you realize there's truly I need do nothing. It's not about doing and having. It's not. It's about recognizing you're not the system that relies on doing and having to promote its idea of being a person. Yes? If, you didn't, if you didn't think this was your life, whose life would it be? If you didn't think you were the doer of your life, whose life would it be anyway? Your whole story, the mind projects as you, is because it takes that you're the noun of all these verbs. Yeah? That's why it presents you as the thinker of the thoughts. If it didn't present you as the thinker of the thoughts, the thoughts wouldn't have half the power you've given them. 
Yeah? It's the claiming of it that makes life into your life. Yeah? And then that life is made up into something that could be quite different if it was given up. Yeah? So, like for me, that's why I like the term finding out, because the mind incessantly wants to know. It finds security in knowing. Even if it's wrong, it still doesn't matter. It just wants to know. But if you abandon yourself to this idea, yeah, if you let go without reservation, you're thrust into what Zen would say is the I don't know mind, which is a very high form of mind. Yeah? And in that I don't know mind, the way you live life is finding out. Yeah? You find out. You find out what the day is going to be like instead of waking up knowing what the day is going to be like. Yeah? You find out what the day is going to be like instead of waking up thinking you know what the day is going to be like. Yeah? That's what that little shift is unbelievably incredible when you just start living finding out instead of knowing. Knowing is like a deadening thing. It's like neuters everything. It packages it. It gives it name and form. And those name and form have old ideas and beliefs around them, yes? And very rarely will the picture break through the frame. But I, finding out is no frame. So the picture has a lot of room. A lot of miracles can appear in it, so to speak. A lot of synchronicity. A lot of intuitiveness. Sensations that weren't felt before. Peace and joy, unbidden this and that, the picture gets allowed to really, really manifest because it's not framed with beliefs and old ideas and I know this is the way the world is. Give me a fucking break. Yeah? I know how she is. I know how I am. This is just framing. Putting name and form on something which defines it and stops it from manifesting. Yes? This is like questioning the frame. Don't worry about the picture. The picture is defined by the frame. Question the frame. If the frame isn't, isn't taken to be real, the picture has an opportunity to grow and mutate and expand, yes? And you may see different colors and everything. The frame is giving it all the meaning it has. The frame most of us are looking out of life through is self-centeredness. Centered on self, meaning I'm a feeling I'm a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's the doer and haver of things. I'm a noun. That verbs are happening to, or I'm doing the verbs. When all there is is verbs. Jesus, I mean, Buddha said a supposedly a beautiful statement again. He says events happen. This is an event, yeah. Deeds are being done. Uh, there seems to be talking going on, so there seems to be a, the deed of talking being done and the deed of listening being done, yes? Events happen, deeds are being done, yet there's no in, individual doer thereof. See, events are seen and deeds are seen, but the mental interpretation of it is there's a doer, yes? There's the doer of the event and there's the one the event's happening to. It, it cannot allow a verb to be a verb. It has to make a noun. It has to stick a noun in there. Yes? And then that noun, being given name, Paul, form, yes, body, begets everything else given name and form. If you know Hinduism, that's one of the first state, states of mind, is name and form. That's what it does. The conditional mind gives name and form to things. What's the original name and form? This. This form and my name, Paul. Yeah. 
There's the tattoo. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But if you can see, this is how I, this is what happened with me. I came to meetings such as this, in different, you know, different venues and stuff when I was younger. And people were presenting a similar idea. I just sat there, and something occurred, and an unspoken yes happened. Not the first meeting, but down the road, there was one meeting I was at, and I was sitting there listening once again. And something occurred where there was just an unspoken yes, and it was like a done deal. I, not, I stopped seeing, I stopped going to those meetings. No, I don't, I wouldn't mind going. There's nothing wrong with going. But I stopped going there, and I just started to entertain what I've you know, been dumped into that system of selfing. Yeah? <laughs> and when there was seen that I'm not that, there was no need to try to turn around and see what I was. I realized I am what sees what I'm not. Yeah? That's it. It's in the seeing what I'm not, that's what I am. I don't go, oh, now I'm going to find what I am. That would be the same thing as that. No, I just saw, I saw what I wasn't, and that's that. Yeah. And it hasn't shifted back for a long time now. So to me, it's, it was like the last answer in this life. I was looking for answers, and it seems to be the last one. I was delivered. You know, I may get a new one, who knows. All I get is different downloads, but it's the same answer over the last, I don't know how many years. Yeah? It was a done deal. That was it. Finish. I don't need to study anything else. I don't want to peruse anything else. I, I recognize when people are, are, are way down the line on consequential levels talking about it, but all I get is there's always suffering entailed. Yes? Suffering. 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 No matter how right or wrong they are, there's suffering entailed. And I find the closer in a way you get to the source, the less suffering, the more traveling lighter. The farther away, the more suffering, the more excuses, the more blame, the more rationalization, yes? The more being right and the more being alone here, yeah? So, well, move back. Buddha, hmm? Quoting the Buddha, he said, all human activity begins in suffering. Yes, because why? When a human is in the activity, he believes or she believes they're the doer of it. And that's the cause of the suffering. It's the bondage to the activity. That's why when they say a non-action doesn't mean no actions happen. It means an action that happens without an identification as the doer thereof. Yes? So someone who's entertaining, they're not that. Lots of actions are happening, but there's no identification as the doer thereof. Yes? And so that action doesn't produce the suffering it would if there was an identification as the doer. That's what happens. Yeah? And there's going to be tons of actions happening. Yeah? And the, let's say the, the level of traveling heavy or traveling light is sort of based on that, in a way, if you want to know what it's like as you travel during the day. The more identification as the doer, the more thinking about, I shouldn't have done it, or... <laughs> whatever, and on and on and on it goes, yeah? Once the claiming occurs, the initiation of the whole system of selfing gets on, then there's a lot of thinking about things. There's like, it could have been different. I could have not done that. And if I didn't do that, everything probably would have turned out great. And that's why it's not great, because I did it. 
So you'll be the source of all. You'll have this incredible, inordinate responsibility for everything. The way my life is is because I fucked up. It's amazing. Can you imagine if you listen to this your whole life? And let's say like five minutes before you pass away, you've lived 83 years, let's say. Yes, supposedly. And you're in the hospital bed or you're at the hospice. And then your head finally makes the final proclamation. You fucking missed the whole thing. Your whole life was a waste. <laughs> what a way to go out. Believing that, as your little clarion call, boop, the last note, you really fucked up, Paul. <laughs> that moment of dying will be, could be an eternity. There is no time. You believe someone died, you know, went out and died, they may be watching a life, and it may happen in seeming your time in a split second, it can feel like an eternity. Yes? Yes. Can you imagine that? You've been listening to this your whole life, and it's back and forth about its opinion of you, but at that last minute or two before you're going, its final little tattoo is, you really fucking blew it. And then if all these ideas, your failed marriages, everything flushes by you. You don't think that is hell? I mean, hell far beyond anything you've ever sensed now? The mind isn't done with us, if you want to know. <laughs> if the identification continues, <laughs> it could lay a bomb like that and there would be a belief in it. You would believe it. You'd believe everything else it said. If it says something like that at the end, and you're not going to have any time to contradict it, you won't be able to read a book, you won't be able to, oh, Eckhart Tolle said this, or someone said this, it's going to be, oh! <laughs> it's best to die to it now, eh? It's self-forgetting. Die to it doesn't mean you kill it. Die to it means is you lose interest in it. You die to the self means you lose interest in the self. You die as the self is your interest and attention is up the self's ass. That's how you die as a self. You die to it by losing interest in the thought system. Yes, you don't rely on the thought system anymore. You don't let the thoughts triangulate you and present you as a body. If they, it will continue to do that, but you don't buy it. Yes? There's an energy, there's, a, there's whatever it is, the awareness is now more what you call you than what it's aware of. Yeah? So the awareness of the selfing is more what is being called you, this life from now on, than the selfing. Yeah. The emphasis just shifts. <laughs> yeah. And then you have immunity to the production. Yeah? What was a color production is black and white and grainy. And it's really old. It's the same old movie as been projecting since you're like six. You know, you've just grown in size and whatever. It's the same, same. Same, same. Yeah. But I found these moments of clarity in life extremely valuable for pulling out of the self. For instance, you mentioned this moment when a death and you said you realized, oh, I totally fucked up my whole life. And it's too late now at that point but in the course of life, you can have those moments where you suddenly realize my whole life is meaningless, and then you find meaning. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. You yeah, yeah. And that is what happens when the thing comes up. Yeah. At one point, it could be useful, and at another point, it may not be. I just sent it. See, whatever mind presents life as me, 
and then as not me. I'm neither of them. There's just a seeing of it. Whatever it presents, the left hand or the right hand, it doesn't matter because there's just seeing. Seeing, seeing. Seeing is the prior activity. Seeing. If you want to take yourself to be the first thing, the first thing is seeing. It's not an idea of being a body that came later. I would say if the first thing, the only the thing that's prior to all other things that appear here, the no-thingness, I would say is more you than anything else that's ever appeared. Yeah? And that thing doesn't appear, it doesn't come and go. It's always so. So, obviously, you ain't going to die in a way, because you were never born. Yeah. Have you ever been at a death or a birth? I've been at both. I helped to deliver a baby, and I've seen some people die. And the vortex is very similar. The vortex, the energy that's sometimes in the room, is very similar to a birth and death. Very similar to happening. Yeah? One, it seems to be the end of a body. One, it's the beginning of a body. But same, it's very similar energy. One has a lot of sadness involved in it because, you know, you've always wanted another chance. You wanted more time. <laughs> and it's curtains and drop. The other one is like a real joyous, yeah? Because what possibilities could be in store? Yeah. But uh, the same energy. You know a vortex? It's an energy. You, know, you feel it in certain rooms. Yeah, it's the same energy. At least the two times I've had the experience of it, it was very similar. Where do you go and where do you come from? I don't think you go anywhere. <laughs> I think this is just an appearance, yes? An appearance. That has no weight whatsoever when it's done. You'll never there'll never be a you to remember you are ever here. Uncle Joe. Hmm? Uncle Joe. Yeah? That's right. Never. Uncle Fred, yeah, Uncle Joe, Uncle Fred, yeah. <laughs>